0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello, everyone. Stuck, you here. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Now... Last time, we talked about all the horrible ways that people have managed to unalive themselves in history, like the, just really the dumbest, stupidest way possible, along with, again, just horrible things. Like I, I had a comment on one of my videos that was just saying, like, hey, oh, my God, first time listening to the podcast. I loved it. But uh, hey, that first death was just wow. That was just bad
0: yeah that was really depressing
1: yeah and if you don't know what i'm talking about then go back and listen to it it's mary the elephant murderous mary whole other thing so on a completely different note i wanted to talk about the reverse i wanted to talk about a person that no matter what seemed to happen to this guy it just worked out he was just lucky incredibly stupidly lucky for no reason And he wasn't exactly a good guy, so he didn't deserve it necessarily. It's just insane that it happened. This is the tale of Timothy Dexter. He was a famed 18th century entrepreneur, like a guy who he made a series of what anyone would at the time would consider to be really stupid transactions. And yet somehow, every single time he emerged richer than ever before. So, he was a poor, uneducated leather craftsman who, by the grace of God and luck, he speculated on the continental dollar and became one of the richest men in Boston. But the ways in which he made money and the antics that he got up to it, like, these are this stuff of legend. This guy is the original American weirdo and eccentric. This is the tale of Timothy Dexter. Now, when I say that he was the original like weirdo, you know how you see all these rich guys in Hollywood or even the ones on YouTube, that just the people who stunt on people, they show up in these cars, they'll wear things that look absolutely horrible. They act in manners that are ridiculous, but they do it because they're big and famous and rich and that's just what they do. This is that guy, except he, he stumbled into his wealth more than anything else. So Timothy Dexter was the son of Nathan and Esther Dexter. He was born in Malden, Massachusetts on January 22nd, 1747. And he came from a family of farm laborers. Like, that's really the best way that I could put it. There was nothing special about them. And in the times of British colonialism, there was very little financial stability to be had. But even as a child, he dreamed of greatness. He wrote later... I was born when great powers ruled, on January 22nd, 1747, on this day, in this morning, a great snowstorm, the signs in the seventh house, whilst Mars came forward, Jupiter stood by to hold the candle, I was to be one great man. Yeah, that's a quote, and to be honest... It is the most articulate thing that he possibly ever said. And I say possibly because more than likely that is not what he said. It was the editors of whoever would have been fixing his writing actually had him say because (laughs) the man was illiterate. I mean, or basically illiterate. We're going to get into that. He never had a real education.
0: He was just stupidly lucky.
1: Yes, incredibly so. That's like
0: the goal, honestly. (laughs) Like, just be really dumb, you're really lucky, and you just live a very chill life, being extremely lucky.
1: Well, his life wasn't chill, and his luck really didn't come in until basically his middle ages. Like that's, that's the reality of it. So, at the age of eight years old, on May 9th, 1755, his father put him to work with a farmer in Malden, with whom he remained there for six and a half years. Like, I want you to think at about a- age that. At the age of eight. Eight. You're at the age of eight years old and your dad is like all right you're a man time to make some money for the family and then he just ships you off to some other farm after six and a half years he then went to charlestown which was the principal center of like the skin and leather dressing business in new england and he learned the trade of being a leather dresser so this was someone who would be um They dressed like skins for leather breeches, gloves, this kind of thing. Basically, all the leather goods, because leather was an exceptionally common and popular thing. It was very good from both the lower classes, from what you would use for outdoor gear, to the upper wealthy people would use this because you'd use it for these fine leather gloves and other different things like that. And he was there for a period of about 11 months learning the trade before going to Boston. Though... That profession, as I said, it was considered lower class, I guess you could put it. It was one of those jobs that it was like you wouldn't expect someone with an education to work it. It wasn't a good job, but it did make good money. Like, it was something that, especially if you were skilled and depending on what type of leather you were working with, you could make some pretty damn good money. By the 1760s, Dexter's Boston teachers, they had monopolized the art of crafting something called Moroccan leather, which was a material that was in very high demand by colonial citizens who were key on fashion. And I got to explain that because you're probably going to wonder, okay, what the hell is this Moroccan leather? Why does that matter? Well... Moroccan leather was a soft, very pliable form of leather. It it was widely used for things like gloves, the upper parts of ladies shoes, uh, the lower parts of like men's shoes. And it's traditionally associated with things like book bindings, wallets, luggage, different sort of things like that. The product was extremely valuable and popular in Europe and in the Americas, and it came from goat skin from animals down in Nigeria. And it would come in all these varying bright colors and styles, and it made it an extremely desirable product for any well-to-do citizen that could afford it. Now again, I could go on and on about this stuff because there is a huge, like the, the leather industry in Morocco is massive but that is a whole other tangent for a whole other video that i don't even know if that's going to happen at some point no i might even do a video because i'm not sure how many i did a whole thing on potatoes i'm not sure how many people would want to listen to the history of the leather industry of morocco yeah that's true I but then again people really like potatoes so it's possible it's possible
0: I wonder how many, I think you should just go off on like more and more demented, like not even demented, really niche rants. You could be demented. Niche rants until people are like, bro, what are you doing? Like, I just want to see what they want to know.
1: (laughs) I'll never complete another podcast again. It will just be one tangent that leads into another tangent. I'm just going to call it the Wikipedia. No,
0: I just mean making like very, very, very like niche topics. So you did like potatoes and the next time you can do like aglets. The history of the aglet. Why are they on shoes?
1: <laughs> Which if you don't know what an aglet was because you never watched Phineas and Ferb that actually taught you what that is, the aglet is the little piece there on the end of a, a shoelace that... That, that's the little plastic bit that keeps the lace together so it doesn't just fray and fall apart.
0: Okay, okay, let's focus. Uh,
1: again, so many tangents from all this. So, as I said, he was in the leather industry, and at the age of 21, he completed his apprenticeship and decided to go into business for himself, producing leather gloves and moose hide breeches. Though the situation in Boston, by this point, was very quickly deteriorating. I mean, we're talking in rapid succession as we're starting to inch our way closer to the American Revolution. The British, by this point, were imposing taxation without representation. Residents revolted with the Boston Tea Party. And the consequence of this was that the government closed down the city's port. Now that may not sound like it's a big deal. It's like, okay, well, they didn't execute anyone. They just closed the port. That's huge for Boston. I mean, the Boston port, it was the primary way of life that centered around these people who their industry, their primary thing, was shipping, both in the forms of trade as like a waypoint and also from local produced goods, like, for example, Dexter's leather. Like, this this was a thing. That's how he made his livelihood, was by exporting that leather. So shutting down the port was the British basically trying to choke the city into submission. But rather than leave, Dexter decided to stay Local, armed with nothing more than a bindle, which that's actually a term that I even learned from this for what it is. A bindle, if you've ever seen that image of like hobos going down the road and they got a stick with a little sack tied to the end of it, that's a bindle. It's not a bundle. It's a bindle. And the bindle is a hobo stick with a with, with a pack. That's on the really end.
0: cool. I did not know that.
1: I know. Right. So that was just a thing. Dexter migrated to the town of Charlestown, which at that point, that was Boston's leather epicenter. And this was Dexter's first smart or lucky move, I guess I could say, because it was here that through his first twist of fortune that Dexter met and then later married Elizabeth Frothingham, the wealthy, very newly widowed, not widowed, what would be the term? Widowed she wasn't widowed. Widowed, or that would be the term for a man. Basically, she lost her husband, is what I'm trying to say. She became a widow. And this was of one of his former leather associates. Now, mind you, at the time that they met, she was nine years older than him. She was in a very industrious woman. Like, she was frugal, and she made no kind of like just small moves towards money she was what you would call a um a huckster like a person who went door to door and they sold goods and he was enamored by her not really you know her nature or anything like that he didn't necessarily really like her as a person it's just she was worth quite a lot like she had her own house she had everything so he took her hand in marriage and he moved in with her as as i said she already owned a house and a lot on the southern corner of merrimack and green street and in the basement of the house mrs dexter conducted uh, a shop for the sale of provisions vegetables and small fruits and then in the garden mr dexter dug vats that you would use for leather work and he continued at his trade at that point So, from this, you can see that the two of these guys, they're actually a pretty decent match, at least in their terms of desire to make money. Like, at the very least, they were hard workers. He prospered in his business, and he entered into speculation in various ways. Among the first of these was a purchase of land at the Penobscot, or Penobscot, I'm actually not sure how I pronounce that, and as a uh, proprietor in the Ohio Company's purchase, being associated in the latter with Dr. Mansa Cutler and a bunch of other prominent men. And amazingly enough, this actually worked out. He prospered in these land ventures and about at the same time, he was advised as a joke to buy a large quantity of public securities when they were selling at about 13% of their face value or 40 cents on the pound. Which if you don't really know what that is, basically there's public securities and things that you can invest in, but people may not necessarily have uh, as faith in them. So these securities can be traded back and forth. And once he bought them, Very quickly after, they became worth 20 shillings. Like, this is a case that sounds pretty much like a crazy crypto coin from nowadays. But, of course, how much money are we actually talking here? Because I'm using this term for a pound, shilling, etc., and obviously we're in America. And the majority of our listeners are in America, so they may not understand really how much that is. Well, 40 cents on the pound is worth about 77 pounds today in 2022, which is around $100 in American currency. 20 shillings is equal to a pound, so that would be about a 60% profit at $160. So in stock, that is a huge amount of profit. Like if I invested $10,000 into something and then I came out with 16000 that's really damn good. Like that's a, that's a good amount of money. So it made him kind of wealthy. It brought him some good income, but it didn't make him stupidly wealthy. That's just arguably one of his first cases into speculation, which again, if you don't know what the term speculation is, speculation was a really big deal, especially back in the early American period. And the idea kind of went like this. Think of it almost what happens with NFTs. So you go and you find some land, you claim that land and you buy it up and then you hold it for a time period and then you hope to sell it off for even more money because now that area is more desirable so land speculation would occur in all these areas where you'd have someone would buy land and then they would sell that land to someone else and then that person would hold on to the land and then they would sell it and it was just this thing of trying to build up the money as much as possible and that's kind of what land speculation was you had the potential to make a stupid amount of money from land speculation but also at the same time it could completely crash and burn It just, it really depends. A lot of people have lost a lot of money in land speculation, but some of the earliest founding fathers, like George Washington, they made a lot of money in land speculation, especially going into territories uh, of, like, Ohio country and that kind of thing.
0: Please try again.
1: Did your phone just go off?
0: Yeah. Siri heard you speaking. (laughs) I'm sorry.
1: Everyone listens to me. We'll keep it in. I don't care. Oh, (laughs) So now, in Boston's well-to-do Charlestown neighborhood, Dexter was an instant misfit. Like, he wasn't welcome at any kind of social gathering there. His new neighbors, the likes of which included people like John Hancock. Like, yes, the John Hancock, the one that when we had the phrase, like, put your John Hancock here for that stupidly large signature that goes on the end of something. Then governor of the Commonwealth and Thomas Russell, who was one of America's richest men at that point. These guys were America's nobles. Like, they were the supermen. They were the really big figures. They were well-practiced in etiquette, business, philosophy, just like anything that you could think of. So they were very well-learned, and they discussed philosophy, politics, all that sort of stuff. And as an uneducated, lowly man who had simply married into money, Dexter was not seen as anything close to their equal, which this pissed him off. It pissed him off so much, and he set out to prove that he was just as good as any of these two-bit, rich, blue-blood shits. Hey, everyone, it's you here. And before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Like, he, he, he hated them, but he wanted to be them so badly. And so after observing his gentleman peers, Dexter decided that he would first go about doing this by earning some measure of social respect by getting a seat in public office. And as best as he could, as a guy who had dropped out of school at like the age of eight... Dexter submitted dozens of petitions to the neighboring Malden, Massachusetts governing body until more than likely because he just kept on annoying them and they could barely read. Again, as I said, he was barely literate. His and I'm going to show you some of his writing later and I'm going to just explain his spelling for what he had for the audience. No one could tell what the hell he was actually writing. So what they did was they created a post for him because he just bothered them so much called the Informer of deer, like the animal, the, the deer, and under the title, Dexter was required to keep track of the town's deer population, you know, for just records of it. He
0: was like fish and wildlife. Yeah, kind because of. Fish and wildlife was a thing.
1: Kind of. Though, as the record of the Malden government notes, the last deer had disappeared from the Malden woods 19 years earlier.
0: Okay, now that's
1: just mean. That's so mean. So they they didn't have a deer for like almost 20 years. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, if a deer ever shows up, (laughs) you got to let us know, buddy.
0: That's messed up.
1: And he was elected. Mind you, that wasn't just for like a year or two. He was elected to that post in 1776 and held it for every single year right up until 1788. So for 12 years. Years He was the informer of deer in a place where there were no deer.
0: All right. <laughs> That's my dream job, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't actually have to do any work, but I get a title. Did he get paid?
1: No, no, there wouldn't have been any pay or anything. It would just been a public, voluntary office. It was like something that you... This is before they would have had any systems to really pay these kind of people. And this is one of the reasons why, historically wealthy people were the ones who did government positions because they didn't pay. So you typically already had to have wealth in order to be in government because...
0: It was a volunteer position?
1: Not, not exactly volunteer. You had to compete for it, obviously, because it, it was a matter you
0: competed of... competed for no pay and responsibility. It was My was nightmare, actually.
1: Prestige. Prestige is a really big deal. Like, you see how hard this guy is fighting just to get recognized by the people around him. Too hard. Yeah. So that's his attempt at getting prestige, but what about his wealth, right? So he was Dogecoin, or rather I should say the 18th century version of Dogecoin, which was the continental dollar. Now, continental currency, also known as continentals, that was the first paper currency that was issued and distributed by the Continental Congress in June of 1775 in order to fund the American Revolutionary War. It was solely backed by the anticipation of tax revenues like this. This currency wasn't based on anything. It wasn't based off gold, not silver, not some other kind of commodity. It was just belief. That, that's all that it was. It wasn't pegged to anything. But since this currency was easily counterfeited, because again, it's literally just paper bills. It wasn't even based off like actual coins for anything, though there were coins, but the majority of the stuff was paper bills. It was counterfeited majorly by the British. There was no silver, no gold, no kind of precious metal or asset to back it up. So it suffered gradual depreciation and eventually it was rendered worthless by the end of the war so this bore the famous phrase not worth a continental like this money was pretty much IOU toilet paper to most people and the population very quickly lost faith in the money and by that logic the government so I have a quote here just as an example in November of 1776 19 million dollars in continental currency had been issued and one could still buy a dollar worth of goods for a dollar in paper, by November of 1778, 31 million dollars had been issued, and it took six dollars in paper to buy one dollar worth of goods. By November of 1779, one year later, so that mind you, this is three years after this started, 200. And $26 million was in circulation, and it took $40 in paper to buy $1 worth of goods. So it was worth less than – like, it took $40 to equal $1. That is some really bad inflation.
0: That really is. It's like Trinidad almost.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but uh, we're getting – as the way it continued, this was pretty much like – Zimbabwe levels of inflation. It was it was worthless. Almost no one accepted the currency by the end of the war, yet many people, especially poorer people, they were paid in this currency. Like, they couldn't do anything about it. Really, the only thing that Congress was offering, you didn't get paid in goods, or sometimes that they may have tried to, like, pay you in literally food. For most, they just issued this currency. Like, there were many farmers, and I know there's actually stories of this for it, where what they would do is they would take these bills and they would give them to farmers to requisition food because the army was starving and they had to get food but you didn't just take it you paid them in this paper currency but that's pretty much like someone walking up to our house and taking all the uh, food out of our fridge and then just giving us some toilet paper and telling us hey here you go sorry that's that's pretty much how it was so after the war, many of the wealthy citizens in Newburyport began buying continentals, mostly as a kind of charity gesture. So they would buy it with using actual goods or hard like coins, like the things that, you know, were actually worth something. Dexter, however, he wanted to earn respect among the local elite who never quite accepted him. So he went all in. Like some of these guys were like, okay, we got a couple soldiers here, so we're going to buy some of their money and give them something for it here. Dexter was like, no, 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 no. That's what you're doing? That's what you're doing as charity? Watch this. I got this. I got this. So by this time, he had several thousand dollars worth of money, like two or $3,000 saved up, which... That was between him and his wife's savings because they were very frugal, very business minded. Like, I'll give you this. We're going to get into some of his crazy antics and stupidity later. But genuinely, he was a very hardworking guy like this man hustled. He did everything I could. So to have two or three thousand dollars saved up in 1780, that is a huge deal. That's a lot of money. So he purchased, he took all of his wife's savings and his own, and he purchased as much of this worthless currency as he could just to give people something. And then by spending all of his savings, he bought this for a fraction of the penny on the dollar. So, like, think about this. What he would essentially do is you had, let's say he had $100, right? Or something yeah. like that. It's a $100 bill. He would pay literally 30 cents and that's what he would get he would get it for less than one percent of what it was worth for a penny so if you had a dollar he would pay less than a penny to get that this was a massive gamble but by some miraculous stroke of luck it worked so when the United States Constitution was ratified in the 1790s, it was agreed that the Continentals would be traded in for treasury bonds at 1% of their face value, largely which was this. this was at the Order of Alexander Hamilton, which is another really huge figure, like from the Revolution and from the formation of the government. And if you remember what I said, he bought these for fractions of pennies, not four pennies. So that means that even if... He bought something for half of a penny. And if you have a dollar, 1% of a penny or 1% of a dollar, that's one penny. So he bought it for less than, you know, half that. Meaning he made a stupid amount of money. Like instantly, overnight. He became astronomically wealthy. I want you to think about this. There was some continental bills, and I actually had picture the pictures of these, I was looking at them, that they were really odd numbers. I mean, $55 bills. Like, when we look at things, we go, okay, here's a $1 bill, here's a $5, $10, $20, you know, th- these kinds of things. Like, they're, e- they're easy numbers. There were things like $55 bills. <laughs> That's like its own other little story entirely. 1% of that is $0.55. So assuming that he paid $0.10 for one of these bills, that would be increasing his investment by five and a half times. And that is only assuming that much. There were some that he probably had way better margins on that he purchased at like 10 or 20 times the cost. So you remember when I said that he invested several thousand dollars into this? Yeah. The profit that he made was around $10,000. According to CPI inflation calendar, that amount from the year 1790 would be equal to $300,000 today. Literally overnight, Timothy Dexter became one of the wealthiest members of the upper class of society. Like that is because people even back then, they wouldn't make as much. So even if you account for inflation, it's still a stupidly large amount of money to have. People did not have that much unless you were. Rich. Like,
0: they didn't have $300,000.
1: No, why do you sound we don't have that?
0: No, but one day, hopefully, when I marry rich, I will have $300,000. That's not a lot of money. Oh my God. It's not a lot of money.
1: You're coming from this from a perspective of Trinidad, where it takes six Trinity dollars to equal one American dollar. No, it's coming
0: from the perspective of marrying rich.
1: I don't like this train of conversation. <laughs>
0: hint you better get rich oh my god
1: so as i said he was now a member of the upper class of society or
0: he already was now he's just richer than everyone else
1: no he was he was basically middle class like he worked really hard he was lower class but he worked hard and had money like he was middle class that's pretty basically what he was like he had the same money that you would pretty much expect from someone who was like a successful trader or a maybe a a lot a lawyer someone who wasn't necessarily rich but they had a good established profession something along those lines right so he wasn't rich but he wasn't poor he was a he was a pretty good level now he was really rich he was part of that upper class at least money-wise socially not so much
0: should I learn to read my boy
1: <laughs> no that's really a big deal for it here because he still doesn't
0: Know how to read No. It?
1: Well, I mean, he kind of... That's a whole other thing. We're going to get into that. So by the end of the 1780s, Dexter's investment in industry had placed him 16th in the rank of Newburyport inhabitants, according to wealth and property. But by the year 1790, with the threefold action where you had, you know, Alexander Hamilton, the federal government assuming the state's debts, all of these depreciated securities that he had accumulated being able to exchange them at face value, and then subsequently 1% of these continentals. So he, not, not only did he triple his money in the first place, but he then quintupled it. He increased it by fivefold. By 1793, Dexter ranked fourth in wealth for his area. He had a fleet of trade ships that were working under him in order to ship goods. So he's not young at this point. Like, he's in his middle ages, but he is now rich like he is really rich and he's got an entire trade fleet he's no longer just doing his little leather working he's got his own ships he's he owns everything like he's good he's got his own shipping industry and now that he was part of that upper middle class not upper middle class just upper class he wasted no time in fully indulging himself in everything that he could so first he changed where it was that he lived like yeah they owned their own house and it was in a nice area but He's like, no, no, no. I don't need that little house on Corner Street anymore. So he bought a mansion and then he transformed it. So aside from working on the actual foundation of the house by raising some like minarets and other things like that, he also painted the house so that it looked like a court jester using colors red, yellow, just like all these really bright, lavish colors. And mind you, this isn't this isn't the tropics where you would actually see usually a lot of bright colors. This is in the middle of Boston. Like this is New England, dreary New England, and he's just painting it just like some kind of court jester spectacle. It's big, but he wasn't done there. He soon raised forty massive statues of some of history's most influential individuals. So this included things like Napoleon Bonaparte, Alexander Hamilton,
0: and of course, stone statues. No, wood. Oh,
1: that's also a weird thing for it here. Why he didn't? I don't know why he didn't do stone. They were made out of wood, but they got painted and everything. Like it was this really big deal for it's it.
0: It's not as cool. It's not stone.
1: Oh, just wait till you hear about the price about it later for what it is they did. And when I say they're big, I mean these things were like 15 foot high. Like they were these big stands that they were on, and then they were like life size big statues.
0: Okay, here's a question <clears throat> If you were to become rich, could we build cool statues for no reason but stone?
1: Yeah, in fact, I've actually said before, I, I told my cousin this many years ago, that I would love to get a statue of myself, and I would do this probably Your if I was cell? an... Yeah, no, if I was an actor. And she asked me, like, why don't you just become a doctor or something and then do it? And I said, well, okay, here's the thing, here's the thing. If I'm a doctor, and I build a statue to myself... Narcissism. That, that looks really weird. Yeah. But if I'm an actor and I did the same thing, like, yeah, it's narcissistic, but it's expected.
0: Yeah, it is expected. Yeah, like, see? see the thing is you're a historian like a popular historian now so you still can't build a statue to yourself because it's it would still kind of weird it would look weird you it would look build, weird you can build a statue of me if you wanted to i'm not like asking but if
1: lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess ha! Uh-huh, in my dentist's office. Not only did he build the statue of all these different people, I mean, again, we're talking Napoleon, Washington, like, he had Washington, who was just in full military garb and everything. He had some of the, like, Native American chiefs that were up there, too. But the final statue, that's the big one. And when I say the big one, I mean, it was literally the big one. So it was, I think, something along the lines of double the size of all the others. And it was of himself. So he built a massive statue of himself and there was this giant plaque on it that said, I am the first in the East, the first in the West, the greatest philosopher in the world, Lord Timothy. And yes, by that point, he was calling himself a Lord. Like his name was Timothy Dexter, but he demanded that people refer to him as Lord Timothy or Lord Dexter. So he, he had a major, (laughs) major ego, but this elegance i'm gonna use the term elegance very lightly like it the guy built massive statues of himself he painted his house in all these garish colors the lavishness or niceness of it if you can even use that term it didn't really last there's a reason why timothy's dexter wife was seldom at the house the simple fact was that being inside the home made her really uncomfortable Timothy Dexter and his son would, with the aid of all their varying companions, and I say companions, he did a thing that rich people did, which was he had, he was a patron for them. So all these poets, these artists, these philosophers, he would be patrons for them and just give them money to make things. And they would follow him around, telling him how awesome he was and all these varying things. And that was just something that he did. So... He and his compatriots, they transformed his house into something that, honestly, you can't really refer to it as anything else than a brothel. (laughs) Dexter would throw these massive parties, and the best parts, like, in these best parts of the mansion, it was pretty much like that fictional character Jay Gatsby. Like, Do you remember The Great Gatsby? remember how he would throw those massive parties on one side because he was trying to impress the girl on the other side and it was to show like all these upper class snobs just how he was their equal or no no he was their better he was better than all of them because he could throw the biggest best parties better than any of them that's what he tried to do
0: i want to do that that sounds fun actually but i hate parties so maybe i'll have one party a year (laughs) but it'd be a really good
1: one you think so really good one all right. Well, as long as it doesn't end like this, because very t- very quickly, within time, the house's furniture and wallpaper was stained. It it smelled like it had a bad odor. And I mean, that probably made his wife not really want to stay at home very often. And very quickly, she actually moved out. <laughs> Timothy Dexter didn't really seem to mind, though. He would even furnish his home with a library. Now, again, mind you, remember, he didn't really read, so he wanted the library just so that he could look intelligent and wealthy. Which, I mean, he was wealthy, but he definitely wasn't intelligent. He got the library specifically just so that he could show people, like, hey, listen, I got a library. Like, I'm totally well-learned. I'm awesome. And despite that, despite the fact that he couldn't really read, he actually managed to pick up some really valuable books. But at the same time, along with these valuable rare books, he would also pair them with things that were... Nothing like you might as well think about this of um, imagine a super rare collectible first edition of a book. And he has that paired with magazine clippings from seven years ago. And like, remember some of the stuff that we got that your parents had taken from Trinidad from like literally the the office magazines that your dad has kept for the last two decades. Yes. He would have that but next to like some book that would be worth thousands of dollars.
0: Okay, but can we circle back to the fact that did they get a divorce? His wife moved out.
1: Nope. Never got a divorce.
0: So she just doesn't like it? Divorcing
1: anymore? at the time was not necessarily common. Like it's not like it is so nowadays.
0: They just met other people?
1: Just trust me when I say we are going to get into that. They That's were all... separated. It's a whole other thing. They <laughs> again, he's a character. You're gonna see.
0: Oh god.
1: So all these books all these valuable books and not so valuable books they pretty much became worth the same in the end because they shared the fate as much of Dexter's house like they ended up defaced they were bookmarked torn they smelled they were stained they they were ruined like they, he ruined a lot of these really valuable books but it didn't matter because the point was to just have the library so at one point it reached a point where he was like, well, it's not really worth anything more. So he sold it. But by that point, it didn't have any value. In addition to that, he would take interest in things like horses. And so he would just buy random colors of horses because he felt like it. Like at one point he bought a pair of cream colored horses for his carriage because you know he's ha- he's got to have his own carriage. He's got to have his own ride. But very quickly he'd become bored with whatever color of horses he had. So he would replace them with gray horses and then brown. And then just like whatever it was he felt like he just was exchanging horses like accessories because he would lose interest in whatever color he had at that time. On, like the other aristocrats at that point, they didn't really like sharing their elite space with this arrogant, barely literate. And I mean, we're going to we're going to describe this more, but very vulgar individual who he came to wealth through sheer luck so far other than the money that he started from the beginning with the heat i will admit i'll say this he worked very hard to get the money that he had he did and then he just happened to invest that and by sheer luck strike it super rich they didn't really like sharing things with him though and in order to do so, like in order to show this displeasure, they would like make jokes and different things behind his back and mock him. They didn't, they didn't really like him. But some of them, they found him amusing, and to do things, they would kind of like mess with him. Uh, so merchants would suggest, like they would joke around with them. They would suggest things like, "You should ship a bunch of warming pans to the Caribbean" and other bad business advice. And you know what would happen? What he would do it.
0: Oh no, yes. I don't work
1: out. Yep, that's what we're gonna get into. <laughs> that's the thing. And this is why he would become famous. Because if things just ended at speculation, it wouldn't really matter. Like, yes, he would have been a wealthy individual, but more than likely he would have pissed away all of his money because he would have been terrible at managing it for what he did. Especially with all the parties and everything that he was show like that he was having. But he did succeed. He did even more stuff. Now When I talk about warming pans, we're going to need to go off on a little tangent to exactly explain what a warming pan is. So for those of you who don't know, warming pans were these tools that were used in the early to mid 1800s, like 17 and 1800s, before we had electric heating. It was like a way that you could keep beds warmer in colder climates. It was something that it it kind of looked like a skillet or a pan with like a really long handle. And so what you would do is you would take these hot coals and you would stick them inside the pan and then you would stick the pan part inside your bed in order to heat it during the winter because they didn't have any central heating or anything and houses weren't exactly well insulated. So it could get very cold, especially in places like New England. So a bed pan warmer so that you could at least be warm in your bed, that was a must have for people. And the long handle, it would stick out so that you could get out of bed and grab the side and pull it out and then just put, you'd go over to your fire and you'd put more coals in and put it under the bed. And that's just something you do. Under the bed? No, no, in the bed. So In the bed? In the bed. So mind you, this is a metal container with little holes on it that you have smoldering coals in. So maybe there's a chance that it could catch fire. I'm not sure if there's any stories of ones that did. I'd probably need to look into that to see if there are, but... Overall, the way it was designed is it was a solid metal construction, and then at the top, you had these tiny little holes that were drilled in it, so it could let some of the heat dissipate. But mind you, these are hot coals. They're not sending out sparks. There's nothing like that. It's just hot coals that are completely covered. So the heat of that would warm the bed.
0: I'm just... What if you touched it with your feet?
1: No, no. It's literally inside the bed. Like, imagine this. If you have a, a bed that's stuffed in that kind of thing, oh, you could... Oh, put
0: in the stuffing. You, you put
1: it in the bed
0: that's actually brilliant
1: yeah exactly can we get one why would we need i don't know i am a bedpan warmer itself
0: yeah but it could be cool it could be cool it could be like a cool artifact and we just show people this is how we warm the bed
1: we wouldn't actually use it, but I actually would like to like. I would like to get one. Right, just, that's what I'm saying. I, I want to hit collection of historical things for it right here. And honestly, if I open up a PO box, which I think that's something I'm gonna do, I'm pretty sure people are just gonna send me random things that they have and be like, "Oh, cool, add this You're to my collection." You're gonna get
0: inappropriate things. You're not gonna get fun history things. You're just gonna get inappropriate.
1: Things. <laughs> to be honest, I'll probably get both. Do you have <laughs> any idea how many weird sexual deviant things there are in history that people have used and done? podcast episode podcast episode no okay, that'll absolutely that me be me next and i'm gonna go off on this yet. Yeah. oh my god great idea i'm just gonna go off this for one so the first um items that one may potentially use for themselves for the purpose of sexual gratification we theorize more than likely came from china and there are phallic objects that were they were made of solid jade and bronze. So I want you to think about this. Imagine something like um, a phallus that you have strapped to yourself, and it is a four-pound rod.
0: Um. Okay. Let's just finish this episode so you can get to work on this whole podcast
1: episode. There's going to be so many things I need to cover. That okay? Yes. All right. We're going to get back into this again. Sorry for the tangents. So. As I said, they'd get out of bed and they would refill it and just get back in. So the Caribbean, you know, you're from Trinidad, like you're, you're born and raised in Trinidad. Yes, it's not exactly known for being cold. It's very tropical. Like Gabby, when you were growing up, what was the coldest day that you ever had that you can remember?
0: It wasn't very cold. Um, it was a day that the entire island was flooded because it was a hurricane. Um, I don't remember the temperature, it was in like Celsius, but yeah. Okay, but you'd say that it was... It's not cold. You wear a light hoodie and some socks, and you're fine.
1: So maybe at the coldest, you might think, like, what, 50 degrees? Something like that? 50s? I think it'd be
0: a little bit warmer, but yeah.
1: Okay, all right. So essentially, what happens when you have the slightest chill in Florida, and everyone puts on winter clothing. Yeah. <laughs> something like that.
0: Except we don't have winter clothing because we don't need it.
1: Well, yeah, it's... Oh, that's a huge part that we're going to get into here in a second. Yeah, that's a a whole other part of another story. Oh. (laughs) You will see what I mean. So the Caribbean, as I said, it's very known and famous for its tropical environment. So the idea of shipping warming pans down to the Caribbean, it seems stupid.
0: It is stupid.
1: Like, it is. But Timothy Dexter was not deterred by such conventional thinking. I mean, I say conventional thinking, but it's not really one that he would think about because the man wasn't exactly intelligent he probably didn't know like he, he literally we we would think nowadays that that's stupid but and even back then that was stupid but he wouldn't know he's never been down to the caribbean he doesn't know what it's like he's never really traveled he's not he's not that kind of person you know so what he did is he sent a massive shipment i mean i think we're talking uh what was the amount 42000 He sent many, many thousands of these bedpan warmers down to Barbados. And so I know you're thinking at this point, like, okay, wait, wait. So he failed, right? Like there's no way this is going to work out. Well, there is a certain industry down south that actually helped him. That being molasses. Now you might rightfully think, okay, so how the hell does molasses help to sell like warming pans like what are you going to use it to heat up the molasses or something but in order to explain that i'm going to need to go off on another little tangent and explain exactly how this works so molasses is one of the products that is made from sugarcane now sugarcane is not native to the americas it has its whole fascinating history like it's not even native to europe so it is from Asia. It was first introduced into Europe back in like the fourth century BC by Alexander the Great after he went to India, and he first came across sugarcane there. Arab traders would take the sugarcane back, and they spread it around the Mediterranean, and Spain received it somewhere around the 700s, like AD, and this eventually replaced honey as the primary sweetener. In Columbus's second expedition to the Americas back in 1493, he brought sugarcane with him, like little stems, little cuttings, from the Canary Islands to Hispaniola, and eventually other colonial powers saw like, okay, wait a minute, this is the perfect place to grow sugarcane, and they would set up their own colonies to grow it. Now, the process of processing sugar from sugarcane, that takes time. It takes time, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, but it can be extremely profitable.
0: Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you
1: do when the woman you love dies?
0: Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious.
1: Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside... The Box of Oddities.
0: The Webby award-winning
1: Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. After all, like once sugar cane, uh, like once this was planted and then it ripened, you could produce a crop like three or six years worth of it before you had to replant it again. And so in order to produce sugar from it, you take the cane, you would cut it when it was ripe, and you take it to a mill. The mill. I just
0: want to say I'm so sorry. I cannot believe an American man is explaining sugar cane to me on a podcast when we grew up growing and eating that stuff right off the. Like, just cut it off
1: the. But did you produce it on the industrial level? Did you do it?
0: No. But everyone's been to a sugar factory. Like, everyone.
1: Yes, but have you been to one in the 1700s that this is how they did it?
0: Just explain it, sir. I just, it's a surreal moment in my life where now I'm like, what have I done to end up specifically here? You married me. <laughs> Don't remind me. So,
1: so. What they had was you had three vertical rollers, like these big, heavy rollers, and uh, you're smiling at me. Okay, so you already know then. So, for those of you, I'm not even going to look at you. I'm going to address (laughs) the microphone, and I'm just going to look over here for it here. So, what they would do is they would ground, like they would grind the sugar cane, and they would extract the calorie-rich syrup-like juice that was inside of it the juice would then need to be cleaned through the use of lime and then further purified by straining away the impurities because you know there's still going to be flecks of sugar cane there's going to be pulp there's going to be like all this kind of stuff that is still inside of it now the pure juice that they had they would boil this in kettles until it crystallized into what we know of today as granular sugar molasses comes from this molasses is I mean, we call it as its own product, but really, it's just the waste. It's the leftover syrup that you can't actually get any more sugar crystals from. So this is a huge business and was very labor intensive. And as such, it needed a lot of workers, a lot of equipment, a lot of everything. And these workers, they would also need to be monitored in order to make sure that they could maximize the productivity that they had for the crop. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough Europeans that the colonies could actually do this job, so the colonies resorted to slave labor. That was the most efficient thing that they had. Specifically, first they would use Native Americans, but the problem was that these natives would either escape and they could blend in with other tribes and you couldn't really do anything, or they would just die from diseases because they weren't resistant to any of the diseases that the Europeans had. So what they then did is resort to slave labor instead from Africa, and they put them into work in the sugarcane fields because this way you could make sure there was less likelihood of people escaping because they could be identified by color. And simultaneously, Africans had had more interactions with Europe, so they were more resistant to diseases and vice versa. So there was less issues. Plus, there was already a massive Slave industry going on in Africa, like the Arabs have had a, had a massive slave empire. Basically, I say empire, but a massive slave trade that was going on for many, many centuries before. And there was a lot of destabilization that was already occurring in West Africa that was boosting the amount of available slaves. Then, when the Europeans came in, that caused demand to skyrocket and led to even more.
0: I hit everything about all of these sentences you just said, but continue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, like it has its own fascinating history. I sh- I should do a no, whole podcast I, on no, it. No,
0: let's not do that. Let's not. Maybe not now. But it's a huge history. Okay. I know it's a huge history, but it would be bad for your image. How? I don't know. People hate you.
1: Oh my god. Listen, I know you hate me, but you married me and now that's something you have to deal with.
0: No, now I have to share my hatred with everyone else. Except I wanna fight them because I'm the only one allowed to not like you. Sometimes, you know. I,
1: I don't I don't I don't know how to feel about this one. I don't know either, man. <laughs> so as I said, they went and they imported slaves from Africa and the leftover molasses had a lot of uses, but the primary use that they had for it was to produce rum. Like that that became another huge industry. No. So God I know you know this. You, you talk all the time about your grandfather and drinking rum. I'm oh. sorry. Continue. So, as I said, the, pri- the, the molasses had a lot of uses, but its primary thing was rum. And so this has been two tangents at this point. One for molasses and one for sugar and the labor industry, like for everything that was tied to it. So how does this relate to Dexter?
0: And bed warming pan.
1: Exactly. Well, when his ships arrived in Barbados, naturally... No one needed a device to make their bed warmer. Now, on the other hand, a cooling pan that probably would have been way more successful, but this is an age before electricity. So, what are they going to do? Where are they going to get the ice from? Where are they going to do anything? So, it's not exactly something that would work.
0: Yeah. Also, it'll melt. They'll have a soggy mattress. Oh
1: my god! And then you gets into floorboards, and then you're going to rot. And yeah, no, that's that's not. You don't want to yeah. bring water into the situation. They
0: don't. I don't know what they did back then in the 1700s, but in the Caribbean, a lot of the house the houses were like wood, but they have moved on to like you know, just not.
1: Cement. Yeah. You said cement.
0: You can't put wood because you'll rebuild your house multiple times. My grandparents had to rebuild their house twice because it was wood. And then they just did, you know, full brick cement.
1: Funny little detail for here, but that's actually precisely a thing. So historically speaking, a lot of these houses, that's the material that was available. There was a lot of tropical wood and it was good wood. It's very good to construct, but simultaneously it's not durable. And that's not a natural thing. It naturally is durable, but the nature itself of the area deteriorates it very quickly. Oh, yeah. So it was common. That, that's actually one of the reasons why sugar plantations and other things could be so expensive to first build and maintain. Yes, they could be highly profitable, but if anything happens, natural disasters, anything like that, it could be very expensive to maintain a lot of that stuff because things would, again, deteriorate very quickly. You'd go through a lot of tools, a lot of material for it. So no one wanted it at least at first but some locals and then the captain who was of the ship they realized something by adding handles to the cover of the pans which if you remember when I described the pans like in their covers they had all these little holes and little things that were in them that was used to let the heat diffuse through them so these were sold as molasses strainers because remember The molasses still had impurities and a lot of stuff in it so you could take this handle and you could run it through the molasses and you would pick up all the little bits and clumps and pieces that were in there that you couldn't really use while the actual pans on their long handles these could be sold as ladles just these massive big ladles in order to stir and pick up vats within the molasses actually pretty cool exactly so he was not not only to sell them, he was able to split the product into two separate products, sell it, and then mark up the price from what it was supposed to be in the first place. And I'm not talking just like, you know, the like 10 or 20%, we're talking a 70% increase in price.
0: That's brilliant.
1: Yes, so this didn't just not fail. This made a huge profit. Like there was a ton of money that was made from this. Now, funnily enough, when he was down there, not only did he sell all of these pans, but they also sold cats, which is another little funny tidbit from here. So the town where Dexter was back there in New- like Newburyport, it had a really big stray cat problem, and Dexter decided to fix this and also increase his public image by helping out. So what he did is he offered a reward for those like, people who would catch these cats and bring them to him. So he bought Every single stray cat that he could find and he shipped those down to the Caribbean It's this classic case of it's like we got a problem. So we're gonna ship it somewhere else But the thing is with the Caribbean and with the tropical environment and all the food and everything that is being produced down there There are a lot of rats and rodents and other pests like that is a very common thing So these cats which were strays and a pest in New England were taken down there and sold for pest control And it was this huge profit because they ended up wanting the cats too.
0: I just have nothing to say to that. I know. I know. It's smart. Now, if the ladle molasses idea was his, then that's just like.
1: Oh, it wasn't. No.
0: Genius. It wasn't.
1: No, it wasn't. It was his ship captain. And we're going to get into this. So, again, seeing that this was a success, one of Dexter's next courses of actions was to buy up a whole host of mittens and, like, winter clothing and then ship it down to the tropics.
0: Because he thought it was cold.
1: Because, after all, if winter items like bedpan warmers were in high demand, then surely, surely winter clothing would be too, right? Sure. No, not at all no one in the Caribbean wanted his his winter clothing. And unlike the pants, yeah, I know, it's a big surprise, shock, shock. No one wanted it. And it couldn't be sold to the molasses industry because what are you going to do with a mitten? Are you going to dip it in the molasses and just measure how sticky it is?
0: So here's the thing, here's the thing. If any of you have ever been to the caribbean which i'm sure a lot of you have it is hot and there's a child i just remember melting all the time because we have two seasons hot as hell which is like dry season and hot and humid which is the rainy season (laughs) those are our seasons it's just hot and hot and wet
1: Exactly. Ooh, hmm. So that no, sounds like just an interesting finish. title. Just
0: finish. That sounds
1: like a very interesting title. We should explore that.
0: I just need to know what he did with the winter clothing. Come on.
1: <laughs> well, we're going to assume from this that he failed again, right? Like this, 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 this There's sounds like a no failure. There's no
0: way. There's
1: no way that he could Unless succeed. he
0: sold for the material.
1: Nope. Once again, no, it worked. But it didn't work because of the Caribbean. Or it kind of did it just so happens that at that time that his ship full of winter clothing was in the tropics, there was a merchant vessel that was on its way from the Caribbean that was heading down around South America and heading back towards Siberian Russia.
0: You're joking. Nope,
1: which as you probably know, it's Siberia. It is really, really cold.
0: No, I thought it was just a moderately temperate place. (laughs)
1: No, it's where people are sent to cool off their tempers by the Soviet government and they usually didn't come back.
0: Actually, we should do a whole podcast episode on Siberia.
1: Oh you know, Siberia actually has an amazing history. I
0: know. I was reading up on it the other day. Mind blowing.
1: Anyway. Wait, were you actually reading on Siberia? I was bored. Wow. Okay. Didn't expect that. I was bored
0: trying to avoid doing actual science.
1: That's a tangent that I would go off on for reading interesting so the crew and the merchants who were there they had no way to actually get winter clothing because they were in the tropics and being in the tropics there was no industry to actually produce these items i mean i want you to think about this nowadays you could go to the store and even in the middle of summer i could technically find jackets and hoodies and different things like that you can buy it because they'll still sell it right yeah Like think that's a thing But supply and demand, especially, you got to think, this is the 1700s. In the Caribbean, there is no industry there whatsoever to produce winter clothing. Because there's literally no need for it. There never would be a need for it. Why would you have it? So they would never make it. So these guys had no access. And then magically, like a goddamn spell, Dexter's ship magically shows up full of winter clothing. And so they bought his entire stock. And once again, he came out, huge profit.
0: Happy for him, king of retail.
1: Exactly. But this one is not my favorite coincidence that just somehow worked out for him. Like, it's my favorite miracle. That would have to be Newcastle. So at one point, one of his peers... Oh, I know this one. Yes, because no, I, did, no, I did a video on it very recently. And for those of you that are coming over from TikTok or anything like that, you might already know this, but there's a famous phrase that is called shipping Colt to Newcastle, which points out something that is pointless. Like, why would you do this? It makes no sense. There's no real reason to do so. It's, it's just a dumb idea. And the reason for that is because a peer once told him that he should ship Colt to Newcastle because it was guaranteed to make profit. He was guaranteed to make money off of this, but on the surface, that may not really sound like anything, like nothing bad, but if you know anything about England, then you would know that Newcastle was the coal capital of the country. Everything about this little mining town in England was designed around producing coal, not buying it. By all logic, this should not have worked out, and this advice should have ruined, or at least damaged him, as Dexter really had no idea. He didn't know what Newcastle was. He literally knew nothing about the town other than one of his, you know, fellow merchants that actually hated him told him that it would be a good idea to ship coal there. But a combination of luck and timing foiled their plans, because Dexter shipped arrive in Newcastle just in the middle of a mining strike. This means that no coal was being produced in the city and had not been produced for quite a while, and for once, there was a shortage. Now, mind you, this is the 1700s. Coal is used for literally everything, from every kind of industry to heating. People aren't chopping down a bunch of trees and then using that to make, you know... The wood fire stoves. They're using coal. So coal is how you heated your house. It's how you cooked your food. It's how you powered industry. It's how you did everything. Like coal was huge. It w- it's the lifeblood for many people. And Newcastle being a coal mining town, they always had a large supply, but they stopped producing it because there was a strike. So he shows up here during that time and he just sells off all this coal to a coal mining town and makes a stupid amount of money. Again.
0: I think a lot of his luck was just timing. Yes. If he'd done that at any other point, it would be a disaster.
1: Exactly.
0: But here's the thing, was he investing so much money that if he lose he lost on like these ventures, would he have lost everything or was it just oh no, that's a loss, but it's fine?
1: I, th- that's a really good question. And the thing is, he had a fleet of ships. So worst comes to worst, he probably would have been able to sell one of his ships and recoup his losses and do more. So, uh typically you don't have a all-in-one thing a series of bad investments will lead someone to ruin usually unless all of a sudden he shipped all 20 ships in the exact same direction a massive fleet like hurricane came in and crushed 20
0: fleets then he was making money elsewhere and these were just bad ventures that could have gone wrong but they were not ruining
1: yeah i mean some of the ships went together as well and you also so like One of the trips, you know, three ships went, so three of the 20, and if you lose it and you have a huge amount of money riding on it, then you may not be able to then afford to purchase the goods that you're going to need for the next trip.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like,
1: you're still going to have your house. You're still going to have all these things, but your career, like what you own, is going to take a huge hit because there's no profit and you need the profit or at least to break even in order to pay for the next round okay not to mention that if you lost
0: now, all... sorry
1: no i was just gonna say not to mention if some kind of disaster happened and the crew went down as well you might have to pay compensation to the families
0: okay that's a lot of responsibility and that's why we have insurance anyway his wife what happened there like his personal life his mansion come on oh, you're just... leaving me in suspense
1: no no that's it's coming trust me when i say it's coming it's because been
0: an hour why is it coming has
1: it actually been an hour Yeah. Oh, my God. This is going to keep going. You have no idea how much it is that I have written here. There's so much more. Yes, there is. This is probably going to end up being like an hour and a half. For those of you listening, we're going to... Yeah, we're going.
0: All right, let's do this.
1: (laughs) So, at the end of all this, these are three adventures down, right? You probably think that he's an idiot, right? Yeah. I mean, he probably was. I'll I'll be honest. Especially in the beginning, he probably was an idiot that only survived through sheer luck through these first ventures. But if you're going to be a merchant long enough then, even as an idiot, you're still gonna pick up some skill or knowledge. And this is where Timmy really seems to start to get an understanding of the concept of supply and demand. So, at some point, he just started buying up huge quantities of whalebone in the Boston area. And mind you, he did this with a number of products. So, he would just literally come into an area, find something that was like kind of scarce. It wasn't like super scarce, but maybe not as much of it would be produced. And he would just buy up everything, like literally everything from it and he would just get the entire supply so this may have been due to a misunderstanding initially about something that he heard from a sailor about needing it but then realizing it was a completely different thing because it was supposed to be rigging for sales i don't know there's a whole possibility for like where this came up with but at the end somehow well i know somehow he bought it but timmy ended up with the entire region's supply of whalebone at around 340 Tons. He had 340 tons of whalebone. That's a lot of dead whales. Like that, the whale, the whaling industry, that is huge. And it was huge at this time. It did barely exist anymore to any point. But at the time in the 1700s whaling was big. So what is he gonna do with all this? Well, by hoarding all of the whalebone, which mind you, you can't actually really produce that very quickly, it's an uncommon material in the first place that you would get from hunting whales. So you, you can't just like breed a bunch of whales and then harvest them. Like that that doesn't work. You have to actually go out and you gotta hunt. The whales. You hunt
0: the whales? You can't just find dead whales?
1: I mean, no, they would do that too. Dead whales that would wash up on shore for things, huge deal. Okay. Like cities would claim ownership of these whales because the very, very valuable material come Can from Can
0: we do an episode on whaling? Yes. Because it's huge back home. We learn about whaling and all of the fishing industry really, really young, obviously, because Caribbean. I mean, it's fascinating.
1: Yes. No, that's actually awesome. Whaling is a huge history for us. I love me that idea. Tell about
0: them killing whales.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, whale bone, baleen, was... I don't know. How would I describe this? It was the plastic of its day, I guess you could say. Like, this thing was used for everything, from the corsets that women would wear, you know, the bind bind around their chest to make their... uh, You you know what I'm talking about.
0: It doesn't work for me, because you have to have something there to... So to gonna... push
1: up, corsets were the push-up bras of the 1700s. Effectively, actually,
0: that's actually pretty cool. Well,
1: they made your waist thinner because it's whalebone. It's a very sturdy, tough material. So they would tie it, and it would crush your ribcage in, and then at the same time, it would perk your breasts up. And so the idea was makes your waist small and your boobs big. And that's what it would do. Uh, so they were used from everything from like corsets, buggy whips, just about anything you could think of. And honestly, you can say whatever you want about whaling today, but back in the 1700s, there was a genuine need for this material. You used, you had whale oil, you had ambergris for like perfumes and uh, medications and all different kinds of things. The bones were used, the blubber, like, it, like this is a huge, huge industry. And right around this time there was a massive jump in the price or demand rather of corsets. And guess who had the entire supply of whalebone that was used to make them in the first place?
0: Timmy. Oh my god, sorry. I literally sound out at the worst time possible. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
1: It's fine. It's fine. I know you don't care. I do care. We're talking about whales and hurting them. I understand that you okay, want to. Yeah,
0: I don't care about that actually. I, I was like, oh, this is going to be depressing. Time to zone out.
1: <laughs> so, in addition to this, he did things like he or his ship captains. I'm not really sure which you could say for this here, but he bragged about it in his book. And yes, he had a book. We're going to get into that. Oh God, I can't uh, read. I know. We're going to get into that. So he stoked fears in the East Indies, so around the region of like, I think the... Philippines, Indonesia, like all that I, kind of area.
0: I, I know where the East Indies are. Okay,
1: so at a, around that time, there was this kind of religious revival that was going on there. So he brags in his book about purchasing Bibles at twelve percent under half price, which is f- about forty one cents, and then he sold twenty one thousand of them in the uh, in, like in the Indies by sending word to the inhabitants that they must have one Bible per family or risk going to hell
0: um
1: it was a marketing strategy
0: a good one
1: and this venture earned him and actually wait I'm confusing myself was the East Indies or the West Indies I'm pretty so sure East it was the East Indies, Indies that he did it
0: yeah so West Indies is where I'm from
1: I know but I can't remember now from the what I was looking at if it was the East or the West and if I just confused myself
0: so what we say West Indian is West Indian yes part of West, and an East Indian is actually like from the East Indian from the East correct so yeah
1: and I know that, but now I'm just trying to remember from what it was that I had been studying that I know it was the Indies. And in my mind, I'm thinking it was the East Indies, but it might genuinely have been the West Indies, and I've just messed that up.
0: On a podcast. I know. Where thousands of people are going to hear it.
1: Either way, towards one of the Indies, he <laughs> he sold them a bunch of Bibles, and he made $47,000 in profit. Which, again, mind you, that's $47,000 in profit then. And we already covered that $10,000 was $300,000 today. So that means five times that amount. He made one and a half million dollars selling Bibles. Like that's the equivalent of what he did on that I'm run. about
0: to make, okay, sell some Bibles. Hold up.
1: I know. And he purchased them for 47 or no, 41 cents a piece. So if you think about it in terms of the profit for what it is that he did, he he probably bought just like... You know, $200,000 worth of Bibles and then just flip that instantly. So
0: this is really, you know what dropshipping is? It's something that people use right now where they buy up a lot of bulk goods from China and then they resell it in the US. Yeah. And they make a lot of money doing that. It could be medical supplies. You pick a niche and you run with it. This is literally that. Yep. Except he doesn't have a niche and he just buys whatever.
1: Literally, he would just buy random things and then just end up selling it. Because he would buy them in such stupid quantities that he could get a monopoly on whatever he wanted, wait a few months, and then just sell it for a big profit. (laughs) Like, he actually got skill. All the stuff that I described here in the beginning was pretty much stupid luck. By the end, though, he was a legit traitor. Like, he actually was.
0: I'm so proud of him. Look at him go.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, see, here's the thing. Reflecting on his business success, and as we said before, the man was not really literate, this is a literal quote from him. And as I read these different parts, I'm going to explain how it is that he's spelling and saying things. I found I was very lucky in speculation. That's, (laughs) like, speculation, but it was speculation. S-P-E-K-K- E-L-A-T-I-O-N. Speculation. It's
0: a hard word to spell.
1: Speculators swarmed me like hellhounds. Not hounds, like with a D. Hounds. H-O-U-N-S. Hounds.
0: That's an understandable mistake. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah. Because you don't just say hound. Yeah. It's hounds. Like, it does kind of make sense. But you can see just from the statement forward here, like, he was not very literate this glaring reality was one of the things that his detractors like they would just throw it in his face time and time again making fun of him
0: and he succeeded anyway which is the 1700s how many people even knew how to read i'm sorry they cannot be that mean
1: i mean if you're going to be in the upper class like you damn well better
0: that is gatekeeping
1: it's the upper class what do you think it would be
0: Okay, you got me there.
1: So, this was a reminder to the world that Timothy Dexter was nothing more than an uneducated, uncultured, un-cultured man who just so happened to get lucky. And he, again, I, I talked about this before, he hated that. He hated that this is how people viewed him. It
0: took skill. Okay, and even if it was luck, it was his luck, and they don't have it, so they can't take it away.
1: Yeah. yeah. So as I said much earlier, he was always trying to host these massive events and parties at his mansion. Again, like The Great Gatsby, if you again, if you've read it or not. And in time, Dexter began to garner the wrong kind of attention. His estate was so much of an aesthetic embarrassment that his wife soon abandoned ship and went to live elsewhere in the neighborhood. So in her absence, Dexter's son, who... He, he wasn't exactly like a cheerful, bright kid. Like his father, he didn't take any kind of joy in learning. So his son moved in and in very quickly turned into a bacnio, which is the term that they use, which is basically a brothel. So they would have these really long nights, these massive parties. They would get really drunk women. and they would invite a whole bunch of women to come there. And in these fine interiors, including at one point, this is a detail for it, there were curtains in the house that were owned by the previously by the Queen of France. And it was soon covered in, and I quote, unseemly stains offensive to sight and smell. P we're gonna leave it to your imagination could be vomit could be piss could be literally anything thank
0: you I get it
1: now so his son Samuel Dexter he he didn't do very well in school as I said like he just did not do well it did not matter how much his dad paid for his education his son would just take the money and bribe people with his father's wealth in order to shield himself from being insulted and to be granted an education so he would basically bribe like his teachers and also the, the classmates that he would have he would just give them money and they would not make fun of him or they would stop other people from making fun of him. And that's just what he would do. So he didn't try to better himself. He didn't try to get an education. He just used the money to pay people off so that he didn't have to bother. But he still got made fun of. That's what bothers me.
0: Yeah, because you can pay people to not make fun of you. They'll take the money and to your face they won't make fun of you. And behind closed doors they'll make fun of you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so you think, like, well, why would you do that? Like, this guy must have been stupid, right? Yeah, he was stupid just like his dad could be kind of stupid. At one point, having begged his father to be put in command of, like, one of his, uh, of his shipping vessels, he went to Europe to get better acquainted uh, with, like, all these different supply sources and different things that he had for his shipping industry. And you know what he did? He bet all of his supply of goods, everything that he had, On the gambling table. So he didn't just use his money. He bet every single good, like the entire supply of shipping goods that they sent at the gambling dens, and he lost everything.
0: Did he get disowned? Please tell me he got disowned.
1: Well, on his return, as you can probably imagine, that's not a good thing to happen. So this just started constant fights with his father. And... He would just be given money and then squander it all away. He was, what, what would even be the term for He's a for
0: typical him? rich kid. It's
1: a trust fund kid.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was a trust fund kid, but he would make even dumber, worse decisions.
0: Have you met a trust fund kid?
1: Well, I say that because he would specifically be given in charge of something. like A trust fund, there is still a trust fund fund that is managed his dad would give him this money but his dad would also do all this really stupid crap as well in the first place so in i wouldn't really call it a trust fund it's more like a i trusted you i hope i hope to god this works out fund so but i mean he did have a daughter and timothy dexter's daughter did actually fare a bit better at least at first at least at first she was a very pretty person like both she had a fun giggly personality she was nice and she was beautiful and her education was I mean she was just as useless as her brother like she was not bright like all these like she was also pretty stupid um but what would she it was be? pretty though but she was pretty and she was nice like that was the thing she was pretty and she was nice and she was rich and that <laughs> did bring a lot of like suitors who would come there to try and get her hand in marriage because why wouldn't you want to marry this guy's daughter like she's nice and pretty and she's rich, rich. yeah but soon after they would visit and meet with her father It usually did not work out.
0: No. Because
1: he wasn't exactly very aristocratic. Now, eventually, eventually, she did get married to a philosopher. Um, No. A philosophical scholar would be the term. And this was after she found that scholar's name in the newspaper, and she became attracted to the man's intelligence because he was actually a really intelligent guy. That's really sweet. Yeah. Even better, the scholar knew how to handle her dad because her dad... (laughs) <laughs> he was an arrogant prick. He really, And we're going to get more into that for just how bad it was. But unfortunately, luck wasn't really kind to either of the offspring as it was to Timothy Dexter. The scholar, he married her, hoping that this would bring wealth and stability. He found that Dexter, despite, you know, all the shit that he gave his son, or maybe it's because he gave all that wealth to his son, who just squandered and shat on it. He didn't give... Him money, he didn't give his daughter money, so despite the fact that he was rich, he wouldn't help them very much. so, as the such, the daughter or the couple they had a daughter who was raised to be successful, so the scholar actually raised Timothy's grandchild to be smart and successful and good like they actually brought some intelligence into the family and after the two divorced which yeah yeah no they got divorced Dexter's daughter then returned to her father's house so so far 0 for 2 on the kids but at least there's a grandchild that's being raised by someone else that actually seems to have a brain
0: that's so sad actually
1: and so these are, these are the children, but you wanted the details about the family, so <laughs> this is what you get. As I said, his relationship with his wife was not ideal. The marital troubles that they had began almost as soon as they moved into the mansion, because before the mansion, like, yeah, he was not intelligent, but he was a really hardworking guy still, even if, you know, they only, he only got married to her because the money and the safety that it would have offered. He was still a hard-working individual, but when he opened the garden to the public for them to praise, there would be several young ladies from around the country who would come into his garden and they would leave it decorated with beautiful flowers and ripe fruit and all this kind of stuff for it here. Cause you know, it'd be like things of seduction and that sort of thing. And if you leave ripe fruit out in a garden, it's gonna rot. <laughs> And it's going to be smelly and other stuff. And his attempts... Now, mind you, I'm saying this. He was at different points unfaithful. He absolutely was. You're joking. No, God, no. You can't
0: be stupid and unfaithful. Oh, God,
1: no. Now that's just it. His attempts at infidelity would, for the most part, fail. As most of the women would just completely reject his advances. As, as they would see him as, you know, the man that he was. Which was kind of an arrogant prick. Like, yeah, he was rich. And he would throw these parties. But... He was obviously fake. He wasn't cultured. He wasn't any of these things. And he would pump himself up to be much greater than he actually was. And so when things like that would happen, when he would get rejected, he would stomp around his house and would then accuse his family of conspiring to make his life miserable. And eventually, the tension between these two grew so great that Timmy turned his wife into a ghost. Explain. Now, you might think, when I say that, that it was murder. No, it was not murder. Instead, when, he asked, when people would come to the house and they would ask about that woman who occasionally would be there and would kind of you know meet guests, he would claim that that woman, his wife, was in fact a ghost and that you shouldn't pay any attention to her that it was just a ghost that was haunting his house because also at this time it was really quirky for nobles and this is a big thing in Europe as well that you'll see to have some like big fancy crazy lore that goes on with their household and their property and things on it like it was a status symbol as well so it's like no 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 that wife that woman that is in his house (laughs) that's a ghost
0: can you please turn me into a ghost so I never have to host another party Please. You
1: already ghost people in the first place, Gabby. Okay, what more that do that I have that to podcast? do?
0: Podcast. What if they hear? What if they hear?
1: They're gonna hear. I just said it.
0: Oh my! Can you edit it out?
1: No. Babe. <laughs> you don't like attention for it here. We already know this. So the thing is, he, as you can probably imagine from this, the sheer. Balls of that! The arrogance, like he was incredibly arrogant, arrogant enough so much that he would hire a poet by the name of Jonathan Plummer to follow him around and would write poems about him and praise him in all this elegant poetry. And being an associate of Dexter, Jonathan Plummer also had his own eccentric nature. So his primary occupation before writing was fishing. His side job involved selling um. Contraband literature. So things that would like think like this. Think pornographic material and simultaneously stuff that it wasn't actually legal to write or document. He would also do that too.
0: It sounds like um, fanfiction.net in the early 2010s or AO3 today
1: know. so there was another instant instance back on a hampton beach in new hampshire where timothy dexter would tell the history of himself like this greatest man that he aspired to be to anyone who would listen and oftentimes a bunch of people actually did they would sit there and they would listen to him talk for his story because they found him to be amusing the guy was crazy yeah but he was what and wild but he was rich and there had to be been something there to get the guy to where he was. Yes, it was primarily luck, but he was there. And it would still be kind of entertaining for people to listen to. And so there was one such occasion where this girl would entertain herself by, you know, being in his company and listening to his stories. But eventually, at one point, we don't know why, Dexter assaulted her. Like, he went to have his way with her. And he chased her all the way to a carriage that was owned by one of her male friends. And now this guy was... He was a big dude. <laughs> he was a big guy. And when she complained to him... On the steps of his carriage, this guy grabbed Dexter, the proclaimed greatest man in the world, bent him over his knees. And mind you, at this time, Dexter is like a 50 year old dude. Like he is this old middle aged man. And you got this big, muscly guy who has bent him over his knee and is just beating the ever-loving shit out of him, like, spanking him.
0: Oh! Yeah. It's what he deserves.
1: Yeah. And it got so bad from this. Like, he was beat so severely from this. And when I say spank, I mean, like, he wasn't just, like, held down and, you know, punched in the face or anything like that. Like, he was actually pinned to this guy's legs and his rear was just beaten severely. Until the point that... He had blood running down his legs. Oh,
0: no. Like,
1: it was severe. And that incident, for a time, actually made him behave himself. Good. Like, he actually was not as much of a scumbag to people.
0: He's an outsider that isn't getting welcomed, and then he acts like this, bro. I know, I
1: know. it's one of those things of a guy who believes That's
0: like just not the
1: moment that you get a decent amount of money and you just think ah, I can do basically whatever I, I want. I was
0: rooting him for him. We I were know. all rooting for him. Oh,
1: just wait for it. You're the last part that gets on here. Oh, oh come, come on! on. No. Why do you
0: start off so good and just take us down? Because
1: it's the full story. You just
0: drag us down. It's
1: the full story. So his arrogance combined with his stupidity and. Being rash, it produced very interesting results. The most interesting one from among these, and this is not the part that I'm telling you about, this is a whole other different thing. So, remember when I said that he had ordered all those statues, right? Yes. So, he ordered that they be painted because before they were just wooden statues of the likes of these figures. But he ordered a painter to come by and paint the properties and one, or, or paint the statues. And one of these statues that was on his property was Thomas. Jefferson Dexter when he came across the statue that was being painted it was only partially done he saw the painter was writing on like the plaque of it the fact that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence and so seeing this made Dexter very upset and he sought to correct the painter by telling him that Jefferson was in fact the author of the Constitution which like this is this is a really dumb and bad mistake Some people would probably make that mistake now for really dumb reasons. It's still a bad mistake to make, but you have to think that at this time, this has been less than 20 years since the Constitution was written. Less than 20 years. And he is already completely screwing with history by saying that Jefferson wrote the Constitution, not the Declaration of Independence. And their argument that they had about this got so heated that Dexter went inside, he just stormed off in this big... (sighs) just huff like he was angry And so the painter was like okay it's done all right the argument's over he's gonna let him do his job it's all good so figuring it was the end he went back to doing his work and right as he was writing just going back to writing the letters a gunshot rings out dexter came back out of his house and just shot a gun up into the air like right into the arch of his house and at that from then on the painter just wrote down what Dexter said, and from then on out, this statue of Jefferson stated that Jefferson was, in fact, the author of the Constitution.
0: I don't really know what to say. I know.
1: But if you think that that is going to make it's you It's very speechless.
0: American, though. It, it, I mean, if you really think about it. <laughs> if you really, really think about it.
1: Being so adamant that you know you rewrite something.
0: You a little bit of stuff sometimes. You bully other people into believing. And then you use your then <laughs> <laughs> You use your gun <laughs> To really solidify what you want done. And I love Americans, obviously. I'm married to one. I, I am one now. Um, there's just... It's very American. We have to we have to acknowledge our culture.
1: I'm losing an argument. Pulls out a like, gun. Literally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, what'd you say to me, punk? <laughs> so,
1: as I said before, that was arrogant. It was. But you were asking about his wife and all these other things. And I
0: hope she left.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> the queen deserves that. Uh, no. I'm going to tell you, this right here, this is the most arrogant arrogant thing that he possibly ever did so at one point timothy dexter faked his own death just so that he could watch his own funeral and see what people would say about him okay I
0: fantasized about doing this when i was 16 and dramatic as hell just to be like um i would love to know what they say about me
1: yeah yeah so he did this because, obviously, he spent all these years working so hard on his public image. Oh, no. <laughs> so, he wants to know
0: oh, no. what,
1: how people are going to react. Oh, no. And so, what he did before this, he ordered that a massive tomb be created in his garden. Like, where he has had all these statues and all these other things. And this tomb was where he was going to be buried. That's what he wanted when he died. He then distributed the news that he had passed away and that a funeral was going to be held, and then from a hidden location, he observed the group that assembled itself before the casket that he had placed inside the parlor of his mansion, and then among all the people was his wife, who was not crying. Most likely on the account that, you know, their relationship was shit and she hated him. And, I mean, he hated her too, but the damn least thing that she could do was cry for him at his funeral. I
0: would fake cry for
1: you. You would fake cry for me?
0: I would fake cry for you.
1: So this prompt Dexter to emerge from hiding and then in public in front of the entire procession proceed to beat her with a cane.
0: Are you kidding me? Nope.
1: He pulled out a cane and in front of everyone that was there just proceeded to beat the ever-loving hell out of her.
0: Because she didn't cry.
1: Because she didn't cry at his funeral. I
0: wonder why she didn't cry. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. That is a thing. Now, once you're...
0: ah, she shouldn't have even shown up.
1: I know, I know. Which he probably would have found her and beat her if if, if she hadn't showed up. Because it's like, how dare you not do that? <laughs> really, she had to. She would have had to have been a sappy. Like, okay, a thing that the ancient Greeks did is that they literally paid people to mourn. That was an actual job that you could have. So rich people would pay a bunch of people to come to their funerals and cry because it was believed that the more people that were crying and sad for a person, the more respect that they would have in the afterlife, and that the the gods and the judges they look upon this like this was a well-loved person like the people loved you and cared for you there has to be something good for you there it was a sign of respect and a mark of honor so when a rich person died you would have hundreds of people just like wailing and tearing their hair out and ripping their clothes just in the street how
0: much did they get paid actually it's a good question i'm so good at crying this could be my thing
1: oh future podcast episode funeral practices that's a whole We'd other had thing.
0: we like, four podcast episode ideas during this I podcast. I know.
1: We'd have to produce, like, one a day at this point for it here. But, hey, if it gets big enough, then
0: we maybe okay, actually, Okay, this is the best story, like, I've heard. Like, I'm actually actively, like, what is happening? I know. It's we're, so good.
1: We're also not talking about dead elephants.
0: Yeah. So that's... That last week was a bummer. <laughs> it was a little bit of a bummer. I loved it, but it made me cry.
1: Yep. So, Timothy Dexter, near the end of his life... As I said, he wanted to leave a legacy, which I mean, he did, but not exactly in the way that he wanted, but he wanted a strong, good way for future generations to remember him by. And so as such, he penned... Books for like from his memoirs, he penned a book by the title of A Pickle for the Knowing One or Plain Truths in a Homespun Dress. And much like one would probably expect from it, it was barely legible. Like, even if you gave some lenience because of the lack of, you know, basic grammar, like there's no grammar correction software that we have nowadays. This book was basically unintelligible. But, but despite that, the issues. Like, th- th- they sold well, which is weird because th- the problems with this book were obvious from the very beginning. And I'm going to read this. This is exactly what I'm talking about when I say, like, um, <laughs> he wasn't very literate. Ime, he spelled I'm, but I-M-E. Ime, the first lord of the United. So, not United, like U-N-I-T-E-D, but Y-O-U. So, you united states of americary not america americary
0: listen he's doing
1: now of Newburyport. it is in the voice v-o-i-s-e so voice of the peopel p-e-o-p-e-l and i can't help it and so let it go (laughs) g-o-u-e <laughs> instead of just go like he added letters what is this french spelling he added on multiple letters to just g-o now i bin been gin or begin to lay the corner stone stone and the key stone with grat so great remembrance so remembrance not remembrance of my father george washington the grot hero so h e r o w hero 17 centris so s e n t r y s sent so not centuries centris past <laughs> like, that's just the first sentence <laughs> like to summarize this book it was more akin to a collection of like his writings about you know his views on life and bitching and complaining about society. Like, it was just a huge memoir about him saying about how great he was and about how shitty the world is. That's... Wow. (laughs) Like, for instance, he wrote how he feared that the well-off, well-educated would exploit the hard laborers, but he actually... Like, that's the thing he 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 had interesting statements about society that are arguably kind of valuable as i just said he wrote about how he feared that the common people were going to be exploited by these rich well educated like pompous assholes who believe themselves to be so great. The topics of his writings would shift randomly at some point to being really unhappy with his family, to societal issues, to just talking about how amazing he was. Like it was just ramblings. (laughs) In fact, maybe I should even do an episode, not a podcast, but I'll do like a Twitch reading where I'm reading a pickle for the knowing one. It's a whole thing. But again, Despite the lack of grammar, and I don't mean like, oh, it had poor grammar. I mean, just despite the lack of grammar, there was like no grammar. There was no punctuation. It literally did not have a single piece of punctuation. No period, no comma, no exclamation mark, no apostrophe, nothing in the entire book. The first edition actually sold pretty damn well. Which justified him to make a second edition, and to address the complaints about the lack of punctuation, Dexter would fill an entire page with commas, periods, exclamation points, just so that those complaints would place the marks, like, wherever they please. He literally wrote in there, like, to whom it may be concerned, place this, like, these marks wherever it is you want. It's like, they can't actually do that, but he just filled an entire page with it. It's just like, yes, yeah, like a sticker. Just peel out the uh, the comma and put it wherever it is that you think fits best in the text.
0: Honestly, that's how I write essays i don't really know how to use like obviously i know grammar rules and i know how to use commas but i don't use them how they should be used i
1: know it's so incredible you're not
0: supposed to great. you're supposed to be good at english
1: no no that's what i'm talking about i'm saying like i know and for it's like i know that's how we would want to but it's incredibly petty to just not care for anything for you like that describes this guy though
0: why does he have to care let's think about it
1: i don't know perhaps the whole leaving a legacy (laughs) maybe Um, all oh, right. His, his goal, like, here's the thing. He was glad to be wealthy. Obviously, he was glad to be wealthy. But his big thing is he wanted to be great. He wanted the people to love him. <laughs>
0: He's a narcissist.
1: He's a total narcissist. Absolutely. And in the end, Timothy Dexter did die. Like, you know, every, all of us are going to die eventually. No, he yeah.
0: died. Yeah.
1: So in the end, the greatest man in the world, the finest philosopher in the East and the West, he died on October 26th, 1806, living, honestly, the fact that he was so indulgent, he just consumed so much alcohol, ate so many rich foods, he lived such a indulgent life he honestly should have died earlier but he actually lived for quite a while now part of this can actually be attributed to the work of a nurse so he had a live-in nurse there that was an african-american woman by the name of lucy lancaster whom dexter and this is another thing for him he believed to be descended from some african prince like that according to like I guess the claims of her father so her father claimed descent of royalty so he was like oh my god yes I'm so great I'm going to have a princess take care of me from exotic Africa <laughs> that's what he did So not only was Lancaster able to take care of the eccentric lord for his final days, but she also took care of his family because they were a complete dysfunctional mess. So she would do things like resolving quarrels between them. She stopped his son from indulging too much in his crazy little fits and gambling episodes and other things. And he kept her or she kept his daughter out of the public's eye so that she didn't make a fool of herself too. Lancaster would even give Dexter's mind more credit than anyone else because she actually saw Dexter as a pretty honest man who, he actually never took advantage of his workers, he took care of his people pretty damn well, like he actually paid decent wages, he took care of them, he didn't exploit them necessarily, like he was, he was a, he was stupid, he was an asshole, he was a narcissist, but he was a decent boss. I don't it's such a complex thing Where did he
0: get that is that on Amazon
1: (laughs) (laughs) like honestly on all counts of things if Lucy Lancaster had not been serving him like through the time that she had then he probably would have indulged himself even more in his activities and he would have just crashed especially mental health wise like he, he was going crazy he needed something to tie himself together just more so than his physical health
0: he seemed a little bit I don't know. I'm just I'm glad he had someone looking out for them that she deserved like the therapist, maid pay, you know, just the full the full staff just pay her. I
1: yeah. Guess. Well, in his final days, he tried to do his best to atone for his sins. He gave his offspring not only like a pretty hefty inheritance, but he also sent a bunch of money to his extended family. Even his wife, whom he hated, she got a lot of money in his last will and testament like he he actually took care of her in a twist of irony like that elaborate tomb remember how he said that he built that big thing in his garden and that's where he was going to be buried That was going to be his final major resting place well the board of health fearing that like this would be a massive nuisance that you know there'd be just a dead body buried in a public place in dexter's garden in they instead decided to throw him into the most crowded graveyard of the time, which was the Hill Cemetery in Newburyport. So instead of this big, fancy, elaborate tomb that, he, that you know, he had planned for himself and paid for and got, they just chucked his body in a, like, public grave.
0: It's kind of messed up, actually.
1: Yeah, so um, for how lucky he was in life, it, it's actually really funny that it didn't work out in his death.
0: Is it funny? It's kind of sad. I
1: mean, in the end, yeah, it's kind of sad for it here. So he came from humble origins, and he died rich. What was buried in humble origins, too?
0: Okay, so here's my question: Under
1: origins, buried in humble endings, I guess there. Okay, your question.
0: Right? Yes, his money—he just gave it away.
1: Pretty much. I mean, he left a good inheritance. That's the thing. As I said, he he donated a ton of money to public works and for other things like that here. He gave a bunch of money to his children. He left a proper inheritance for them. And simultaneously, he sent a bunch of money to extended relatives.
0: What happened to his children?
1: Well, I didn't really go into that. His children were, didn't really end as luckily for them i'd be very curious to research and i didn't do this here
0: if he had a dynasty he left and his kids did something but they probably didn't
1: he was mostly forgotten to history it's really only in fairly recent times and like he was still a big figure in boston but he's he didn't really get a lot of the attention like this is a wild story what we've just gone over we didn't really see a lot of him until fairly recently when people were going back and looking at all these stories it's actually because of things like this podcast what we're making right now just telling this wild crazy fun story that brought him back into the limelight
0: yeah i've never heard about him until you started talking about him obviously which is how most things go
1: yep and that's how things work with the age of the internet that's really what happens
0: what that was fun
1: exactly and Honestly, it is the longest podcast we've ever done. This is almost two hours. It's one hour and 40 minutes.
0: That's a lot of time. Yeah. You guys better love this one because that is a lot of time.
1: Now, (laughs) I could split this into two parts, but I'm not. I'm going to put it out for everyone to see because I think one of the big complaints that we have even gotten for the podcast was like, oh, yeah, uh, my podcasts that I listen to are at least an hour, hour and a half long. And I'm just like, I speak so much in the first place. My voice is probably going to give out. But hey we did it we made a massive one so i will release this as a full episode there might be a couple points where especially on the actual podcast services there will be uh some more mid-roll ads and different points but it was still fun thank you very much to everyone for listening and i will see you all in the next one which we'll decide what we'll do whether it's the funeral or wailing or sex
0: toys throughout history
1: yes next time sex toys throughout history Oh God, that sounds crazy.
0: It does. <laughs> it really does.
1: I will see you all next time. Thank you very much, my hose.
0: Okay, when well, your next podcast episode plus that name. I know, right?
1: Yeah. Let's talk about sex toys, hose. Bye bye. <laughs>